0: Hello and welcome to the Black and Dyslexic podcast with Winifred A. Winston and LaDerek Horn, the show that unapologetically focuses on helping Black and underrepresented minorities navigate the special education process. We wanna help raise awareness in the Black and Brown community, remove the stigma about learning disabilities and provide you access to professionals in the space of dyslexia and special education that you need to hear from.
1: Hey, everybody, this is LaDerek Horn. Winifred's here. Hey, Winifred. Hey. So you are getting ready to hear a really rich conversation that Winifred had with Janique Parrott-Gaffney. Janique is, as you'll hear, a literacy expert who also runs a business around supporting young people with acquiring literacy skills. In listening to this interview, I just want to say that I think you were in, again, for a, a really rich conversation There are a bunch of different distinctions around interventions, around the value of getting literacy support for our young people, which are made within this conversation. Yeah, I think everyone's going to walk away from it really, really empowered. And both for this episode, as well as all of our episodes, I hope everyone is taking a look at the show notes, right? Because we put a lot of time into listening to these conversations. You know, we have experts and, and even we have just... Parents or people like me who have that lived experience, you know, there are different references that are made. So make sure you're taking a look in the notes to be able to pull those resources out as well. Winifred, is there anything else you want to say before we we jump into your your conversation?
0: Well, I just want to add that I was super excited to have her. And in the order that these have been released, I think this is the first one where we really delve into the remediation and the interventions for a kiddo that may have dyslexia or a language based learning disability. Like, how do you teach them how to read? And I think it's very important that parents understand that the schools need someone who is trained, right? And, and not just more time. You need that right. remediation, not just the accommodation. So um, I really want you guys to hear and understand. And again, look at those show notes.
1: That's it. All right. Enough said. Here's the interview.
0: Today, we have Janet Parrott-Gaffney with us. She is a structured literacy and dyslexia specialist. She is the founder of Literacy Without Limits. And I'm not going to pretend like we don't know each other and we haven't met, because I actually met her at a mutual friend's opening launch of her tutoring center. So you see how this network is small and how we all keep in touch. So Jeanette, I'm so, so happy to have you. Welcome. Thank you for having me. So tell us, how did you get started in this space?
2: Well, I'm a former special education teacher. I taught middle and high school self-contained for approximately 10 years. And during that time, I came across so many students who were in special education, who had just not mastered the basics of reading. And unfortunately, even as their teacher with years of experience, I did not feel equipped to really teach them the basics that they needed. So I decided to pursue some additional training at the Atlantic Seaboard Dyslexia Education Center in Rockville. And after that, I taught for a few more years, but my passion was really working with students who had significant reading difficulties. So I left the classroom and started Literacy Without Limits so that I could really work more intentionally with children who had reading difficulties.
0: So how did you find, like you said you didn't feel equipped, right? What led you to say, wait a minute, okay, I went to school for this, I'm certified, but I don't know how to help these children. And how did you find the Atlantic Seaboard Training Center, Atlantic Seaboard um, in Rockville? So I
2: believe I found it through an internet search. I was literally scouring the internet, desperately looking for trainings that I could do. And that was the first organization that came up and they offer a academic language therapy program, which is basically an intensive dyslexia remediation program. So it's an intensive program that requires not only coursework, but then supervision. So I had to undergo at least 700 hours of working one-on-one with a student. And by the end of the program, I actually had a thousand hours.
0: Wow. Wow. So I'm going to go right into Look at all that training you had to take, right? To be able to help and to be a a dyslexia specialist. And can you explain so parents can understand the difference, and I use this term a lot on the show, between a homework tutor and an interventionist?
2: So a homework tutor is pretty much what the title says, someone who might be helping your child with homework, somebody who might be sitting beside him or her helping this child with the problems that are there in front of them. Whereas an interventionist or a specialist is really creating a customized plan for your child. So for example, when I work with students, the first thing that I do is intake assessments because I want to determine the child's strengths and weaknesses and my instructional plan And then from there, I develop an instructional plan with goals for the student so that my instruction is based around those goals. And so I can track the student's progress. And most likely, a homework tutor is not going to have that level of specificity in terms of what goals the student is working on. They are probably just working on those assignments.
0: See, that is so, so important. If they're not doing an intake assessment, then you probably don't have the right tutor um, Absolutely, because if a child is struggling with a, a learning disability or, you know, even dyslexia, you can't just go in and be a tutor. You have to have a starting point to find out where the deficit is. And then, you know, like you said, address that. Right. So for example, I'm thinking, Let's say my daughter, I always use her as an example, even sometimes when I'm not using her, I'll just say my daughter, <laughs> but, um, I just heard the term double deficit, double deficit dyslexia with her. And although I know what it is, it's, it's when a child has trouble in t- two areas, right? Of reading, there's five components of reading. And then there's two areas that she struggles with. Now I heard the term before, but when the person was referring to my child, I was like, wow, okay. It kind of like stung a little bit. <laughs> and then I thought, let me read that report again <laughs> and try to figure out where it is. And so, you know, a dyslexia specialist is going to know, okay, this child is struggling. Now you help me here because I'm just flying off the cuff. I just know from some of my, my work, like, oh, this child is struggling with comprehension. I'm going to use elements of, let's just say, Linda Mubelle, mm-hmm. um, V and V, because we know that, and that's visualizing and verbalizing. Um, I hate to use acronyms, you guys. I, I, I can't stand it. I call it teacher talk, but I know that that particular program helps with reading comprehension, you know, and there may be, let's say, say some foundational skills that a child may not have developed. Right. And so with another program, you might have to double back down and say, okay, let's get these foundational skills where they need to be. And then we can move along. Right. So I'm saying all this parents to say that if there is no intake assessment, if there's no assessing of the child, how will this interventionist, how will this tutor be able to identify and then help close the gap?
2: I would also add to that, that the interventionist or specialist should also be reviewing um, any psychoeducational reports or neuropsychological reports, because having the information that a child has a double deficit for me as a specialist is really important because it's going to tell me okay, now I know that this student is most likely going to be struggling to gain automaticity. So what that means is our children who have the double deficit have not only a weakness in phonological awareness, but they have a weakness in naming speed or retrieval. They have a hard time retrieving information quickly. So when they're reading, their reading is often labored and slow because they can't quickly retrieve the words to read them automatically
0: oh my gosh you just described my daughter like you just described her and one of the symptoms that we don't often know as a parent when my daughter was very young I'm talking like three four right whenever she would speak it would take her a long time to get the words out and she had a very vast vocabulary and like I would hear back in the day parents would say use your words Right, use your words, get it out. And I'm not—I didn't know—I didn't know that that was a sign that you know um, the way I describe it is the typical brain. That retrieval it goes from the front straight to the back. Boom, they say the word, and I say okay with her now. The way I understand it is it goes in, it goes around, it take a left, it take a right, it do some zigzag, and then it gets to the back, and then that word comes out. And that just means it takes her a long longer time. But I didn't know that that was a sign along with. You know her not remembering sight words that oh my gosh something else could be going on here i was just that parent use your words you have a vast vocabulary get it out and not really understanding like wait a minute pay attention to that so can you talk about those five components of reading um we touched on a couple i said comprehension and you you just said um phonemic awareness i think you said.
2: Phonological awareness. Um,
0: Phonological awareness, yeah. So
2: there are five components of reading. There's phonological awareness, phonics, fluency, vocabulary, and comprehension. Um, And typically, students who are diagnosed with dyslexia um, have significant difficulties in phonological awareness, which means that they have difficulty Isolating and manipulating the sounds in words. So, if you ask a child, you know, how many sounds are in the word "stop," they'll have a difficult time telling you that it's "stop" a- four sounds. Um, and ph- phonological awareness is critical for reading. And so when I work with students, that is one of the assessments that I administer. And that is one of the areas that I work on, because if there are weaknesses there, it's kind of like it's the foundation. So if there are phonological awareness weaknesses, any phonics work that you do is not going to stick. So then phonics is the relationship between sounds and letters. And that's what we need to read. Vocabulary is word knowledge. Um, And the great thing is that vocabulary, while it can be developed through reading, it can also be developed through exposure, through parents reading to children, through parents using higher level vocabulary. And so I always encourage parents to read to your child, to elevate your vocabulary um, as much as you can when talking to your child. Fluency is, um, it incorporates a number of skills, but it's basically a child's ability to read not only accurately, but with expression. And then there's also comprehension, which is the understanding of what you read.
0: Oh my gosh, that that is awesome. So those are the five components of reading. And we hear all the time, phonics, 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 phonics. But like you said, if the phonological awareness is not there, then the phonics is not going to stick. I think in a lot, of, a lot of schools, they say phonics, 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 and that's probably what parents hear all the time, but it, it's more than just phonics, right? The way that I think about it
2: is that if a child is not aware that the words that they speak are made of sounds, if they don't have that basic understanding, they're not going to understand the, the relationship between sounds and letters, because they don't understand that words are made of sounds. So that's why I really see it as that kind of foundational knowledge that kids have to understand that words are made of sounds and then we can connect sounds to letters.
0: I got it, got it, got it. So tell me about, okay, so you did the training um, with the Atlantic Seaboard, but I know just because we've had conversations that you were like, you know what, that's not enough. I want to know more. I want to understand more. So tell me about the other trainings that that you've looked into and just what you have learned about different programs in the space.
2: So basically after doing this very intensive training, I found that being simply trained in a program isn't enough. For me, it was much more important to really dig into some of the foundational research around reading so that I can have a better understanding. And that actually helped me critique and analyze the program in which I was trained, which definitely had its strengths, but based upon doing my own research and really digging into the science of reading, I was able to identify a few areas where I thought were weaknesses. And so I did look at a few other programs because um, I really want to, for the students that I serve, provide them with the best possible instruction that is not only effective, but efficient. For me, it concerns me when I hear specialists talking about a child being an intervention for five years. So my goal is really effective and efficient. And so just delving into the research has really helped me look at not only my own program, but some other programs to determine what are the strengths and what are the things that I want to keep doing in my practice, but what are the areas that I need to tweak to make them more effective for my students?
0: Oh, that is awesome. And I want to just say, I don't even think we use the word yet, but all of the programs um, that we're talking about as far as dyslexia intervention are based on Orton Gillingham. And you may hear it referenced as OG, right? So if you meet a tutor or if you go online, because you're sucked into one of those ads and you're looking for a tutor ask them are your tutors trained in og or do you know what og is don't even say orton gillingham if they're like og what og who then you already know then they probably can't help your child because any practitioner anyone trained they they're going to be familiar with the acronym og and they'll know orton gillingham so all of the dyslexia based programs are i don't know say it for me it's not like based on it but they use Stay the so, right
2: way. <laughs> Orton Gillingham is a methodology, and so yes. there are programs that are based on the Orton Gillingham approach. Now, what I will say is there is wide variety in the interpretation of Orton Gillingham, um, in the methodology. So, you know, if a parent, as a parent, you find someone who is trained. Um, it will be important to just ask some deeper level questions to say, you know, can you walk me through what a typical lesson would look like?
0: Yep. And you Um, know what? YouTube was my best friend, right? YouTube was my friend because I, yes, I was an educator a brief time. I was a high school teacher. I went through um, an alternative certification, right, um, program. So I wasn't trained, right? And, And so when this when my daughter got this diagnosis, I'm like, okay, well, how do I help her? And I would hear multi-sensory, right? Multi-sensory structured literacy. And I'm like, okay, how are we gonna learn these sight words? Well, then I learned, okay, I know she learns by doing. Um, Her daycare provider says she needed to be up clapping and moving. So when we did sight words, we played a game called Zingo, not bingo, but Zingo with a Z. I think we got it off of Amazon. I think my cousin sent it to me and it was sight words and it was kind of like bingo, but it was zingo. But whenever the word would come out of the little chute, we would tap it on our arms. I would have her air write it, and when she would say the word, I would have her um, put her hand under her chin so she can feel the movement in her mouth, right? And and that's how we played it. We just incorporated her repeating it over, you know, tapping it out on our arm, air writing it. I incorporated all these things, but I didn't know this. I just. I like went to YouTube and was like, okay, how do I do this to try to make it fun, but then also give her what she needs because I'm like, I'm not going to be a tutor. Like that's not it. Now, granted, some parents have gone on to take programs. The Barton reading and spelling program is very parent friendly, but I just knew that wasn't for me. And my daughter would not, We, we just clash. We don't work well together. And it's okay if you don't work well with your child, because I do not work well with my as far as tutoring and her reading. But I just went to YouTube because I was like, well, how do I do this? How do, like, how do I make this happen? And let me just say this too, let me go here. I couldn't find any black tutors, right? And we had a situation where we were in this space and it was just, we were immersed with like white teachers, right? I started thinking like, wow, there's nobody that looks like her you know, we found, luckily we did find, um, we found a black, a black tutor, ooh, even a black male tutor we had one time at, at a center. But when I went to um, the International Dyslexia Association's annual conference in what, November, 2019, um, I knew this was a white space, but when I saw the overwhelming amount of providers, right? Like I was in the airport and I saw somebody reading a book and I, I knew that she had to have been at the conference because it was a newly released book. So I like waved to her and she came over. She was like, do I know you? I was like, no, but we were just at the same conference. She was like, how do you know? I was like, you're reading that book and find out she was here in Maryland. She was in Bethesda. She was like, oh, I've been in practice for X amount of years, you know, and I'm a practitioner. And then um, I remember I bought, um, I bought a, I can't even remember the name, but it was supposed to be an expensive purse from a lady in a neighborhood. I live by a very, um, I don't know, high-end neighborhood. <laughs> and um, I was on next door. And I went to this lady's house to pick up this purse. I wish I could remember what the name of the purse because I didn't know it was fancy until somebody said, oh, your cheap self, you got that fancy purse. <laughs> and um, she ended up telling me she was a practitioner and an older white woman. And I was like, what in the world? They're not advertising. You know, It's word of mouth. It's a community, right? It's a network. It's a community. Did you find in your training and going through this process and learning all that you have that there was a limited number of Black providers?
2: Absolutely. Um, Not only is there a limited number of Black providers, but as I mentioned before, I'm heavily into reading, reading research and going to professional developments. And there's also a critical lack of Black experts in that space. There are a few, but unfortunately, the majority are white. I have made it a goal of mine to really try to connect with um, other Black providers, not only other structured literacy specialists, but also other speech and language pathologists of color, because they are also critical to this work of intervention.
0: Yeah, I was doing the same thing. Um, I was looking for Black providers because I know culturally, you know, we don't talk about learning disabilities, learning differences, ADHD, dyslexia. As a culture, this is not something we talk about. And I know that most feel comfortable with the provider that looks like them, right? So I started trying to find Black psychologists, Black speech and language pathologists, Black tutors, just so that sometimes when I feel like I'm convincing a parent, like this is the route you need to go or you need to talk to this person or you know, let's go ahead and accept that identification right now, that label, right? Earmarks, that label, just so we can get the child what they need right? And I know that in most cases, they feel more comfortable with a provider. And I felt like I was searching for a needle in a haystack. Like, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is all across the board. You know, um, thankfully Clubhouse. Are you familiar with the app Clubhouse?
2: I've heard of it, but I'm not on it yet.
0: Yeah, I, I was on it, but then you have to take a break. And now Android users can get on. Not that I'm against Android users. It's just that It could take up a lot of your time, but it was also a great space for me to meet um, a lot of folks in the space who were of color. In the very, very beginning, the way the algorithm was set up, I didn't even know there were white people on Clubhouse in the beginning. It was crazy. Um, They did some changes because it was based on who you followed and your contacts. Right. And and so you kind of were like, oh, okay, this is it. It must be a different Clubhouse for them. But I was able to connect with some providers of color because for some parents, that was very important. And I know when I switched careers and I worked as director of admissions of a school, I was reading reports, evaluations constantly from across the state, right, of parents trying to get into this school. And I would see the language used when referring to a Black child versus referring to a white child, doing the same type of activity but the word and the language used to describe a little black boy versus a white child, it was alarming. And I thought, like, this is a lot. And when you're putting the history, right? And really understanding culturally the differences that we have, like in the family structure and and some things that are norms, right? It it can look and come across differently with a provider who just doesn't know. So that's very interesting, very interesting. To find and in this space where it's so needed, we know that dyslexia is hereditary. I think I've mentioned probably on the show that once my daughter was identified, um, we realized her dad is dyslexic. Never knew, no interventions, just didn't have a clue. Like just knew he struggled in school. So to know that there's a, a limited number of providers and experts in this space, you know, it brings me to think: What does the research say? Who are they? Who are the groups of people? Right? One being researched. And then two, like you said, interpreting that research. That part right there, interpreting that research and what is it saying about, about our children. So tell us, how can we find you? One line, but before that, before that, if you can drop like one nugget to a parent, what would you leave them with as far as finding an appropriate um, interventionist dyslexia therapist? What would you leave them with?
2: To a parent, I would definitely say do extensive research. So there is, for example, a resource list on the International Dyslexia Association website. You can also go to the Center for Effective Reading Instruction. They have a resource list for finding specialists. Um, And just know that a diagnosis of um, dyslexia or reading disorder it does not mean that your child will never learn to read. Your child absolutely can. but it's definitely about finding a specialist who has the not only the adequate level of training, but who is also still very much learning and reading because, you know, some of the things that were acceptable, as instructional practices 15 years ago, are no longer acceptable. So you really want to make sure that you find somebody who um, is not only trained, but up to date.
0: Oh my gosh. And as you were speaking, I'm sorry, I need you to go back. I need you to tell me literacy without limits, right? I want you to tell us what you do because tutors most often, sometimes they tutor after school, but do you push into schools? I'm sorry, tell me about Literacy Without Limits. I wanna know how you're able to help students and work around the school schedule and what does that look like?
2: So I founded Literacy Without Limits in 2018 and I just actually underwent a shift um, in my business where I'm now seeing students in my home office in Upper Marlboro in Prince George's County because I really felt it was important to be able to serve more students in my immediate area. And then I also see students virtually. Previously, I have had contracts with charter schools, for example, in D.C., where I've been able to go into the schools and provide small group interventions. So it really is a combination of one-on-one instruction. Um, I am launching some small groups that I'll be doing in my office and then also going into schools to provide instruction as well as workshops for teachers.
0: Okay, okay. And that came up because I know a lot of times parents are thinking, like, how am I going to get the help? Like, how am I going to have time to get them this intervention after school? And then also when they don't trust the school system and they find a provider, you know, sometimes they'll say, oh, well, we can't have anybody in or we don't know what that looks like or we don't know how we're going to fit it in.
2: Previously, I found that the only schools that were amenable, and this was just in my experience, to a provider coming into the school were private schools where the parents were already paying the tuition, and then they were, in addition, paying me to come in and provide the intervention. I have not found any public or charter schools that just allow the provider to come in through a relationship with the parent.
0: Got you, got you, got you. So it's actually with the charter schools, it was a relationship with them. And then you came in and did small group. Got you. Got you. I want to talk about, look, I thought I was wrapping it up and then all these questions. I was like, wait a minute. There's so much more I need from her. We got to hear this. What about the amount of time, right? The amount of time. Is it two times a week? Is it, I had a parent, who she contacted me and a provider was taking her money for one time a week, one time. And um, I don't have high blood pressure, but I really think I blew a gasket because I had to get off the phone with her because I was like, what is she taking your money for? Matter of fact, I, I'm sorry, it was twice a month because it was $70 per session, twice a month. And I said, she said she was trained. I'm like, what? No, that, that is not right. So talk about the time commitment and how many sessions
2: So the minimum amount of time that I see students is twice a week. And for some students, that's not enough. However, but because of, you know, finances or other circumstances, that is what we can do at that moment. So I do see students twice a week, ideally for some kids, um, given their level of need, seeing them, you know, five days a week for 50 minutes would be ideal because some children, just are so far behind that they really need that intensive level of intervention.
0: Yes, and and speak to that, right? We know that early intervention is key. Speak to early intervention and why it's so important to get a child uh, remediation, the younger, the better. Well, if
2: we think about, you know, kids in kindergarten and first grade, they're just learning how to read. So there isn't as much that they have to know in kindergarten and first grade. But once you get into second grade and third grade and there's less of a focus on learning to read and reading to learn, there's so much more that those students are responsible for in terms of reading. It's more advanced phonics patterns. It's multisyllabic words. And so there's a lot more ground that must be made up once students are in third grade and above. And so it really is ideal to start working with kids in kindergarten when they're first showing signs of being behind or having difficulty because you can really make a lot of traction with them in a shorter amount of time.
0: Oh my gosh, thank you so much for that. I use that as well, learning to read and reading to learn. And the sooner, the better. We have a saying in advocacy, the wait to fail model. Oh, you know, they'll catch up. They're gonna just catch on. Before you know it, they'll be reading. Oh, you know, people told me, oh, you're being over the top. She's so smart. And you know, you wait, you wait, you wait. And then you think that you're doing a good job at third and fourth grade but by then they're so far behind. And I know from my own experience in school, I remember third grade. I remember I I switched, I'm 46 and I remember third grade, I switched class from one class to another. And I remember when I went to that new class, those words were a lot longer and harder. Like I remember that and kiddos know when they're behind.
2: I will also say that as children get older, it's harder for schools to determine intervention time. So, for example, when a kid is in middle school, it's much harder to determine how are we going to provide this child with intervention. And unfortunately, there aren't a lot of middle schools that are offering, um, at least that I've seen in my experience, that are offering decoding interventions. They're more focused on comprehension. But a comprehension intervention is not going to be suitable for a child who has decoding problems, who is not able to read the words on the page.
0: Exactly. And that's when the parent is then paying an outside provider, a tutor, to try and help to kind of go along with the IEP because the child is so far behind. Yeah, that's just so, so important. The sooner, the better. And my motto is it can't hurt. Just get them assessed. It can't hurt. Right? You rather know than not know or, or find out too late. Oh my gosh, this has been such great information. Thank you so, so much. Thank you so much. So please tell our parents how they can find you online. So you can visit our
2: website at literacywithoutlimitsllc.com.
0: All right. So you heard that literacywithoutlimitsllc.com. She dropped so many gems today. I, I don't even know what a recap sounds like. Okay, so we wanna get them assessed early. As the parent, you want to understand the five components of reading. And I don't mean understand it in a sense where you can go teach it and explain it, but just so that you understand and you know what's going on with your child, and then what questions to ask a provider and knowing the difference between a homework tutor and an interventionist, right, OG. If you don't do anything else, I want you to Google OG and look up Orton Gillingham because that's just key to the success of a child with dyslexia. Tune in next week where we'll continue to bring you lived experiences and more unfiltered conversations with experts in the field around all things Black and dyslexic. Make sure you subscribe and follow the Black and Dyslexic podcast where we educate, empower, and equip Black and underrepresented minorities. The Black and Dyslexic Podcast is partially funded by Morgan Cares and the Center for Urban Health Disparities Research and Innovation, awarded by the National Institute of Minority Health and Health Disparities. The Black and Dyslexic Podcast is sponsored by Dyslexia Advocation Incorporated, a 501c3 charitable organization located in Baltimore City, Maryland, whose mission is to equip parents of children with dyslexia and other language-based learning disabilities with the necessary tools to help their children become successful readers. You can find them on the web at www.soallcanread.org.